Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Point of View. I'm Scott Hannon, and for Chris Berg, you normally hear me on What's on Your Mind, a statewide talk show that covers uh, North Dakota and surrounding states on AM 1100, The Flag, and 550 K Fire, as well as KTGO, 1090 Radio on the Bakken, and KLTC. So it's fun to be here on TV with my friend uh, Chris Berg, taking a little much-deserved vacation time. Busy show for you tonight. We're going to talk with Senator Kevin Kramer here in just a moment. Big budget deal passed this week. Some people say it's too much money. We'll give him a chance to address that. Plus, his battle with the Corps of Engineers continues. His battle to get the president's promises actually fulfilled in building some wall. What's going on with the Corps? The senator has some pretty strong words. Kirsten Baszler, North Dakota Superintendent of Public Instruction, will join us to talk about an innovation education summit that's coming up uh, in the middle of the month at Jamestown, and you are invited to that. Plus, uh, your comments for us in the uh, viewpoint segment. We'll also give you the final view coming up tonight on Point of View. But I start with Senator Kevin Kramer in our conversation about the budget. Uh, Senator Kramer, thanks for joining us. Let me ask you first about some opposition to this budget that you voted in favor of. It's come from Cory Booker. Uh, a Democrat. Uh, Joe Manchin, a Democrat. Both say it spends too much. 27 Republicans say it spends too much. So is this too much money to spend in a budget? Well, first of all, it's not much of an increase. It's over two years, it's $54 billion in a $1.3 trillion discretionary budget. But I think what happens is a lot of times people confuse the the discretionary side of the ledger, which is 30% of the overall federal budget, with the you know the entire budget, the the vast majority of the other 70% is mandatory spending made up largely of the entitlement program, Scott. And and I, I, I will be honest, and, and there are a lot of good people, friends of mine, who voted no. Uh, they always vote no because it's always too much spending, and no is a very easy vote to cast in this town. Uh, but easy isn't why we came here. And I think that for our president, for Donald Trump to have negotiated this type of a deal with Nancy Pelosi, with a what amounts to a 2%, just a 2% increase in spending, uh, you know, two years in a row, uh, is really quite remarkable. In fact, this, this $54 billion is split out this way. It's a $44 billion increase in the, in the uh, 2019 budget, and then a, or maybe 2020, and then it's a, uh, a $10 billion increase in the 2021 budget, and remembering that fully half or a little better than half is defense spending. And we are digging out of a very deep hole that the Obama administration put us in, in terms of our readiness and our ability to even to even you know, fight back if, if a war should break out. And so we need to do this for our military, but, but from a conservative standpoint, it's quite a modest increase. But if we ever want to get to balance, and I do, um, if we ever are going to get to balance, we have to deal with the 70% side of the budget. And so voting no and hoping yes, which is what a lot of people do because it's easier to explain, uh, is not, it's not something I've ever done. I've always wanted to be part of the solution. Well, the 2% number, I think, is uh, significant, a 2% increase. We're not hearing much of that in the reporting, but, you know, we get a lot of news from... Uh, you know, national uh, media fake news sources. So I guess what, what should we expect? You're hearing different numbers like 300 and some odd uh, billion dollar increase. My understanding of that is that was, you know, a target from a, a previous budget uh, 10 years ago, not uh, now. But certainly good news that, that you told us about going from 44 million uh, in an increase, 44 billion, sorry, to a $10 billion increase uh, two years from now. Going in the right direction anyway. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the fact that you've been deputized by President Trump to get to the bottom of why the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is so slow in building wall. In fact, right now, we know of 50 miles of wall, and that's all replacement wall. It's replacing other structures. It may be a little bit better, but it's still not the, you know, a new wall. There's only been 
uh, actually less than a mile build of new wall, and that was done by We Build the Wall and Tommy Fisher built it. So uh, give us an idea of where you're at, and I know you're frustrated. Are we ever going to get to the point that the Corps of Army Corps of Engineers is going to serve the citizens, serve the taxpayers, and build some wall? The Corps of Engineers is their own government. They're their own bureaucracy. They're arrogant. They're secretive. Um, and I'm starting to wonder if they're not corrupt. I mean, when they hide behind words like um, proprietary and secret, but they can't provide me with the statute that says that they have that authority, I get very suspicious. Um, I'm not sure they want to build the wall, Scott, quite honestly. Uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to be building 400 new miles by, uh, the, en by, you know, by uh, the end of next year, and they've built 54 so far. 54 miles, there's the number. And uh, again, of the 54, some say, hey, it's better. It's a bollard fence. It isn't a vehicle barrier or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's still an uh, area that previously was, uh, had some kind of a barrier and now has a better barrier. But it's not new. It's not uh, getting to the root cause of the problem. How many years into the Trump administration? It's unbelievable. We hope you keep fighting. Senator Kevin Kramer, we'll have more with him next week on Point of View. So stay tuned for that. All right, next up, we are going to uh, chat with Kirsten Baszler. I um, am always interested uh, the listeners I talk to every day on the radio education comes up a lot you know you hear about for instance a, a school shooting for instance and uh, somebody say it's the education system that's to blame I, I, I don't I don't know whether that's a proper one or not but they say you know how do these how do these kids slip through the cracks how do they how do they do this so I I don't know what the answer is I, I hear from a lot of people say do we teach our kids today about the Constitution about the founding fathers about what they envision I think these are all good questions. And of course, the cost of education continues to go up, 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 and then there's a whole issue of, are they ready for a career? So anyway, some of those topics will be tackled in an upcoming Innovation Education Summit that Governor Doug Burgum is having for a third year in the Jamestown this year. And so we wanted to get to the bottom of the topics there and tackle some of the issues in education with the Superintendent of Public Instruction, Kirsten Basler. Kirsten, thanks for joining us. Always my pleasure to talk about education, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a topic I think that we can sort of just take for granted. Oh, it, you know, kids go to school and everything will be fine. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I worry about it. I worry about uh, whether education is where it needs to be for the workforce that uh, we need. I worry about it from the standpoint that I hear more and more about teachers uh, having to be more behavioral health specialists than they have to be teachers these days and dealing with a lot. So there's certainly a lot of things going on. And, I applaud you and the, and the governor for this Innovation Education Summit that you're planning coming up uh, 14th and 15th in uh, Jamestown. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. What, what's, what's the plan? Why, I know this has been done in the past. This is, I believe, yeah. the third annual, but what's it all about? It is. Um, yes, it's the third annual uh, Governor's Innovative Education Summit. Very excited about it. And, you know, I, I, think, I think it's a good sign when you worry and the rest of North Dakota worries, families worry, parents worry, adults worry about what kind of education do we really have? And I think that's such a good question to ask and continually ask because um, if you stop asking, so how are we doing, what do we need to improve, then things get old and it gets dated and I don't think we have that continuous improvement process that our students really deserve. So the uh, Governor's Summit that we're holding on August 14th and 15th in Jamestown is part of that process to always be questioning what we're doing, are we meeting our students' needs, and really are asking ourselves the question, are we meeting our students' needs for their future? Not based on our past, but you know, we have a 21st century economy and global citizenship and all sorts of things. Uh, kids are learning in different ways, so it's important that 
not only educators, but business people and families and students themselves come together to talk about these questions, hear about good ideas. And so, as I said, this is the third annual uh, Governor's Innovative Education Summit. We had the first summit the very first year that uh, Governor Bergam was in office. We held that in Bismarck. Last year, we were at Northern Cass School in the middle of a cornfield north of Fargo and West Fargo. And this year, we'll be at Jamestown High School for two full days. We've extended it from just a one-day event to a two-day event. And day one will be um, people coming together, educators from across the state, sharing um, solutions and, and some best instructional practices that they've derived within their own communities. I think that's an important aspect for us to point out that a good education in North Dakota uh, is going to look a little, diff little bit different than Flasher in my hometown than it will in Hillsboro in northeastern North Dakota. And so what we'll have is a series of educators giving TEDx talks about best instructional practices and community solutions that have um, resulted in doing school differently in our schools across the state, um, sharing best practices and really then celebrating um, some of the successes that we've had. Day two will be focused on behavioral health in our education system and we're partnering uh, for the first time this year with the Department of Human Services and their Behavioral Health Division. Really excited about that partnership as well. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that as well. We should tell folks this is open to the public while, while you have a number of educators and yes. uh, innovative ideas uh, being uh, thrown out and uh, discussed both days. You want the general public to participate and be part of this as well, right Kirsten? I do. In fact, I, I'm hoping that we can get a large number. Registration is free. I need to point that out. So, you know, space is limited, but we have a large space in Jamestown this year. But registration is free. So we're encouraging everyone. Obviously, educators will be there. Policymakers, legislators will be there. Um, hopefully, school board members will come. But it's really important for me to hear from our parents and our general community and our communities across the state about what do you want? What do you want your graduate to look like when they finish our K-12 system? So I really am hoping if you're not an educator, if you're not a business person, if you're not a, an elected official, we still want you to come, number one, to learn about what we're doing, um, to uh, help be our partners in it, but to really share your ideas with us about what we can do better to make sure that our students and every one of your communities is getting what they need from our educational system. So yes, everyone is invited. I encourage everyone to take a look at registering and, and come join us on August 14th and 15th. What criticism of education in North Dakota do you think is uh, the most warranted, that needs uh, the most attention, that maybe uh, keeps you up at night and, 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 and a dashboard that mm. you're looking at that you want to be better? Thanks, that is such a great question. Um, there are a number of things that keep me up at night and you know, my student cabinet who I meet with quarterly asks me that question periodically to make sure that we are addressing the things that we need to address. I really, um, it's important for our education system to transition into what our students need today. It's not enough for our students to know content. Obviously, obviously it's very important for them to have the solid foundation of mathematics and reading and science, but we also need to take them a step further in being able to apply that content knowledge into solving problems, being curious and developing solutions for the problems that they exist. There, I've been saying this for a number of years now, that the world is no longer rewarding our young people for what they know. They have a handheld computer in their hand called a cell phone that really has the answer to most questions. The world is only rewarding our young people for what they can do with what they know. So it's important for us to make sure that we're allowing opportunities for our students to be creative thinkers, to be collaborators, to really communicate well and be able to work in a group setting to solve 
problems that are facing us today, not just regurgitate information that a teacher may have imparted in them. So that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, a tough call for our education system. Um, traditionally, educators kind of knew that they would follow a textbook. I don't know very many educators in, in this nation, particularly in this state, that follow a textbook anymore. They'll teach content, but then they'll present a teacher or student a problem and help them facilitate that problem. It's also concerning to me that we have an, an overemphasis sometimes that everyone needs to go to a four-year university or a two-year um, community college. Those things are important and still very valuable, but I really want to partner with our parents and communities to make sure that our students know that there are so many wonderful, well-paying jobs that are going to be able to maintain a middle-class living and better lifestyle for our students by getting a certificate and really having um, that, that practical knowledge of application that our, that our 21st century world economy is demanding. So those are the two things that I think are the most important. I heard recently from a school administrator who shall remain nameless that uh, the amount of time devoted uh, to mental health, to behavioral health issues in the school um, is infinitely more than it is here's what you need to learn, everything you just talked about, on, on the skills we want them to come out of, a, yeah. out of an education in North Dakota with. And I guess I never really thought of it, but I mean, a teacher is, is, is educated to teach and, uh, and to impart learning. Yeah. Yet, you know, there is a, so much that happens every day in the class, classroom that prevents that related to behavioral health maybe of other kids that they need to be aware of as well. And so it's almost as if you need, uh, you know, a teacher, yes, but uh, a behavioral specialist as well going, you know, room to room. How big of a problem is this in North Dakota? It's a growing problem in North Dakota. It's one of the most significant issues that we hear, um, that I hear not only from my students, but my students' parents and their families. I hear it from our teachers. I hear it from our educational leaders. This is an issue that is growing in North Dakota, and we're not alone. It's an issue that's growing across the nation. Um, I had some research done in North Dakota and then reached out to some national research um, uh, organizations as well to, to affirm, to say, is this a North Dakota problem or is this a nationwide problem? And what I learned is it is a nationwide problem. Uh, we are seeing more and more of our students at younger and younger ages experiencing and expressing, dis demonstrating um, some behavioral health issues where previously most of our behavioral health issues presented themselves in middle school and high school. We're seeing that that, act that number is actually um, dipping a bit, but the majority of our incidences are increasing in our elementary and even more concerning our, our lower elementary grades. And so that's why we are partnering with the Department of Human Services, Chris Jones and his team and the Behavioral Health Division Director, Pam Sagnus, is partnering with us for day two. Because as you said, Scott, our teachers go to school for four, six, eight, ten years to become better instructional strategists, better teachers, better curriculum designers, better lesson planners, and, and we take great pride in that, and that's the profession that we went into. But in our communities across North Dakota, we also have people within our communities that went to school for four, six, eight, ten years to become social workers and, and psychologists and psychiatrists and behavioral mental health specialists. While educators absolutely are on the front lines and we can help identify students that are experiencing problems and some emerging mental health and behavioral health issues. We need to be able to learn to identify those, but we also need to know where we can find support and send those students and their families to. We have them for a school day. How can we better partner uh, with 
with professionals in education and professionals in behavioral and mental health, I think it's our responsibility as state agencies to model that collaboration and that partnership. Our, our state invests an enormous amount of money in education every year. They invest uh, for every biennium. They invest another pot of money for behavioral health um, needs and, and support services within our counties every year through the Department of Human Services. When the Department of Education and the Department of, of Human Services collaborate at that state level, we're really hoping that we can model and set an example for our local education agencies, our school districts, and those local behavioral health social service uh, agencies so they can help our students right where they are and their families. And so that's the crux of day two. One final question, about a minute left, but if, if you uh, force me to say, what's the most important thing you want your kids to learn in school? Uh, you know, I think all the things I think most of us think related to, uh, you know, the skills they need once they hit the workforce and, you know, the basics and all that. But I'd have to say the, the most important would be understanding the genius of this great country, of understanding the founding fathers and what they stood for, uh, of, of really appreciating the American experiment, the American idea. And I don't get the sense that kids today come out of school with that level of, of, of love of our country that maybe our parents and grandparents did. Am I wrong? You know, I'm so glad that is one of my passions as well, my deep, deep passions. Our students really are an engaged group of, of generation of students. I see that more now than ever. They want to lean in. Uh, I think it's really up to us as adults to bring back the importance of that love of country, that, that understanding of what an amazing system of governance, of self-governance that we have. I really appreciate the fact that for the last five years now, actually no, the last four years, we are no longer operating under No Child Left Behind. That one-size-fits-all approach really forced out the, the studying and the understanding of civics education. We're bringing that back in a newer and better way. What I think is really important is that, again, rather than just having our students memorize facts, I will hope, I'm working hard to make sure that our students are able to be engaged in the civics process, whether they're a third grader, an eighth grader, or 11th grader, so when they graduate from our public schools that they have that deep appreciation of how fortunate we are and that they have the skills and the, the knowledge set to go out and be active, engaged citizens themselves. Okay. I, I think that we can turn it around with this generation and it's, it's incumbent upon us to do our work in our schools to make sure that that happens. If we don't love it, we might not have it very long, so that's so important and I appreciate your passion yeah. on it and uh, all of your energy and tenacity and all these education issues you're you're a great uh, great fighter for the causes uh, that I think many of us uh, want to see uh, continue to transform education into the 21st century Kirsten thanks for the time thank you for your time and your attention to education Scott have a great day Kirsten Baszler superintendent of public construction with us on POV